All right. Welcome to the uh, the live edition. We're going to go live today, but um, Julio Jones getting traded made it a necessity. We also totally changed our game plan here, but that's okay. More content, better content. Uh, this is the June 6th edition of the PFF forecast, and this is going to be Julio Jones trade edition. We're going to go over it from every single angle. We're going to talk about my Falcons futures, whether I'm mourning. Are we are we crying or not, Eric? We'll discuss that. We'll talk Matt Ryan versus Ryan Tannehill, best duos in the NFL, um, what the betting markets look like right now, um, whether I've bet on the Mavericks plus six and a half, and then some recommendations. So let's rock. get back to the Julio conversation. A couple things to let you guys know about. Go to pff.com right now, right this instant, and get a PFF Edge subscription because you will get up to the second uh, player projections for all of the players in the NFL. That includes Julio Jones on the Titans, A.J. Brown, Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, both quarterbacks, the whole deal um, adjusted for, obviously, their new landing spots. And um, I'm just going to let you know if you're a Calvin Ridley owner or if you're not you're going to want to be one because this guy is going to the moon. So go to pff.com. You'll also get access to the 2021 Best Ball Draft Kit. You're going to see a lot of volatility in best ball right now. Um, It's a really fun way to play fantasy football without a a ton of pressure during the season to actually make updates. You basically make bets on how players are going to do during the season, and then once you draft, you can forget it. And we have an entire kit dedicated to that that takes you through um, strategy and how to play best ball. So go to pff.com right now. Get an Edge subscription. It's only 40 bucks for the whole freaking year. It's a great deal. Also, you can go to symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot app. This is a stock market for sports teams. You can buy stock in sports teams, and then obviously the prices go up and down. You can sell, you can buy, and you make a dividend if they win games. So use promo code PFF when you go to symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot app slash PFF. Deposit 10 bucks and get a free PFF Edge subscription. It's a, an amazing value. It's a ridiculous value. Go make that happen right now. You can sell Falcons. You can buy Falcons. Might be a kind of sneaky bet, a little contrarian play. So go make that happen at Symbol. And now back to the Julio Jones discussion. Um, I should say, I want to apologize. I said 15 minutes at 12 or at 3.15. I'm on the West Coast right now. And I had to reconnect Periscope to StreamYard. So I apologize. That's not... It's not on me. I got it done. Um, Eric, I, I want to start off with this, though. We kind of knew that Julio was going to get traded. Um, the Titans had moved up into the favorite position with a couple of other teams. What was your initial reaction? You see the trade. You see the compensation. First thing that goes through your mind. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think we knew Julio. I mean, we knew later on, but I think early in the process it was pretty, like, they don't want to do it, and they're holding out for quite a bit. Um, and then ultimately, once it ended up happening, like I, I know people who are like, you know, we don't want to trade Julio. And ultimately, it soured so badly there that they ended up having to, to trade him. And I don't, I don't think the compensation was great, but the Titans did take on all of Julio's money. And the Falcons had put themselves in a position where they could not afford any of their draft picks. So... You know, in that sense, I don't hate the move for Atlanta. Um, you really? know, would have liked would have liked to keep him there. Well, but you 
like the fact of the matter is, is like you couldn't, you you had no flexibility on your team, right? At some point, it like once once you sort of run the numbers, who's, you're like, whose fault is that? Like if you're if we're doing the blame pie thing here, you know, like where where does that lie? Because it can't be Terry Font. Is it Terry Fontenot's fault? Should he have come in and immediately seen that? Is it is it Dimitrov, our buddy? You know, like it, it, who who do you think should bear the brunt of the blame for not being able to keep the best player uh, that your franchise has seen in the past twenty years? Well, I think it ends up being. I think the majority of it falls in Dimitrov's lap. And while, you know, I think that that's a little bit negative, you can see sort of where he's coming from in the sense of, you know, he he almost took a team to the Super Bowl title twice. And when, you know, when that didn't work, like they kind of like kept trying to put the band back together. And there were like these weird fits and starts like 2019 they finished the season six and two, right? They mm-hmm. they made a change of coordinators uh, on the defensive side of the ball. They got better. And it always, like, it could have stood to reason, right, a team that was losing a lot of close games every single year that eventually would all come together, and that ended up just simply not happening. Um, and, and then when that happened, the next guy ended up holding the bag. Now, Fontenot had a decision to make. He had a few decisions to make, right? The one of them was, you know, which one of these contracts do you sort of, like, extend and re- uh, restructure. I think Ryan probably was going to have less of a market than Julio Jones relative to expectations. So Ryan was probably easier to go to the table with and say, look, we ought, we want to extend you, give us some uh, flexibility. Julio, um, no such sort of, uh, you know, no, no such ability there. Um, but also like they made the decision not to draft Justin Fields, right? So there are some decisions they've made post to Mitrov that you could yeah. say led them to this point. Um, but I don't, I, mean, I don't blame Fontenot really at all, um, you know, for this, the, the larger situation that they're in some of the, the decisions they've made sense, you could permute through them. But as we said on the podcast before, all the outcomes were going to be bad for them. Okay. That was kind. You, you, did you go to church today? The, the Holy spirit is within you. Uh, this is like, that was very tame. And I, I was worried that we were going to come in and both bashed Falcons. I have a list of winners here. I'm going to start with with the losers here. The, the, this is just, we finally thought the Atlanta Falcons were going to turn the corner. In fact, someone in the, in the uh, I'm going to show this again here. I said, I think the Falcons have the best offense in the NFL. They had a chance and they peed it down their leg. I mean, and this is, this is a disaster. The Atlanta Falcons, you talk about cursed franchises and you've seen it in baseball um, you know, with the Cubs and, and stuff like that. The, the Falcons are, uh, it, this is the city of Atlanta, like deserves better than this. Uh, this is, this is a disaster in my opinion. Um, and I don't think that you can, like, I agree with you in that you probably can't place the blame squarely on certain people, but for Terry Fontenot to come in there and not look at the holistic picture of this offense and go, okay, I'm going to draft Kyle Pitts. What does this mean for my team going forward? And to not see the writing on the wall and go, if I have to trade Julio Jones, I am in a rebuild. And if I'm in a rebuild, I need to either trade down or I need to take a quarterback um, or do both. And um, or if I have to trade Julio Jones, I got to do it before the, you know, the draft. Like th- there are so many things here that I think were mismanaged 
I think the biggest loser here by a mile, by a country mile, are the fans of Atlanta. And I'm not saying that just because I bet on the Falcons. I actually still like our bet because um, we got them at at seven uh, over seven minus 143. I still like that. I still think they're a good team. I still think Matt Ryan can be with Arthur Smith, a top 10, top 12 quarterback. Um, but this is a disaster for the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, I, if this is if it weren't for 28 to three, this would be it. it I think the, the biggest loss, the biggest L um, that the Falcons have taken. Um, it's the end of an era, but it's not like... They, they drafted a tight end at number four, Eric. And know, Jamar but- Chase was on the board. Justin Fields was on the board. You think Matt Ryan has a future right now? But they weren't They weren't going to... They had to do something to Matt Ryan and Julio. Julio's deal. They, they might not have had... Like, look, if Julio was this much of a we want out of here, right? Then like the the fact of the matter is like they they had to do this. Like Dante Fowler's deal wasn't was egregious. They mm-hmm. could not move on yeah. from literally anybody. They like we talking about like trading their left tackle to the Jaguars or something just to free up cap space. You know, yes, they they could have gotten rid of Deion Jones. They could have done a lot of other things. And yes, I'm not saying that like they've made the optimal choice here, but none of their choices were optimal. And even taking Justin Fields, which I think we ultimately would have supported, even if they would have gone into the season with Ryan, Ryan's humongous deal, right? The 40 million cap hit or whatever, and gotten rid of Deion Jones and all that kind of stuff. You still don't get, you lose 25% of the edge of getting a rookie quarterback there. And and so would they come up for mayor here? And it's like, okay, they still have two elite weapons on their team, which is what they had a season ago. Well, they're okay. still not great defensively. Um, so you're calling Kyle Pitts elite and Calvin Ridley now wide receiver one also. We elite. have Calvin Ridley as as generating the most receiving yards in the NFL this year um, in, in our projection. They also have to pay Ridley at some point. Yep. And, and – we look. I mean, last season you're talking about a 90 catch, 1300 yard, almost 1400 yard receiver. Um, you know, he's something that. Look, I like I said, I, I don't think this is good for them. Like, I would have wished yeah. things have gotten better, but this is something where the Falcons, the Falcons should have been rippable long ago, and not necessarily today. I think they're picking up a mess and. And doing so in a way like, not necessarily the way I would have done it, but they're doing it in a way that makes some sense. Uh, and and getting getting all of Julio's deal into Tennessee's hands. That's a fair point. That that's a good to me. Like again, they that's they a have really good point. They have to do. Um, and, and I don't hate the bets uh, for this season. And as we know, every single season there's a Joe Burrow. There's a Zach Wilson. There's a Kyler Murray. Every single year, there's a quarterback. We always say, oh, the next quarterback class sucks. And it's like, okay, but that happens every single year, right? And so we we give so much certainty to the guys like Fields, and we give less to the Rattlers and the, uh, you know, the, the dudes the next year. Mm-hmm. And the Falcons, if they bottom out, like we might, that like they're certainly able, able to do, like they'll have yeah. a chance to pick one of those guys next year. Yeah, I- I mean, and a lot of comments here about like, okay, this isn't a disaster. You know, like Julio isn't a one-man team. Dude, the guy is a top three receiver when he's on the field. So, yes, he's not a one-man team, certainly. But 
there are a ton of question marks. Like for you to, and I love, look, I think Ridley will be great. He's a fantastic route runner. We really liked him coming out of Alabama. All of the research that we did, that was one of the first years that we did draft research. But th there is uncertainty there. He, yeah. he played alongside Julio Jones, the number one weapon that every team was trying to stop like by a mile, right? And that is a question mark. Kyle Pitts is a question mark. Um, Matt Ryan's uh, downfield accuracy, as we'll talk about in a little bit, it is a question mark. I want to move, though, to... Julio Jones' ability to stay on the field for 16 games. Well, that's always been a question mark. I mean, it, that, that's what I'm saying. But, like, yeah. for this team, like, you would... Would you... Here, here's, here's what I'll say. Long-term for the team, this is good because they have so much more flexibility. They'll have an opportunity. Like, what happens if there's a team... Like, let's say they're contending this year. And there's a team like Minnesota that wants to trade Yannick Ngakwe in the middle of the season. Mm -hmm. There, There's so many teams in the NFL that don't have any flexibility. The Falcons have put themselves in position to have some. And long-term, like, that's a humongous, like, the, the Julio Jones situation was a humongous ball and chain for something that, yes, is an amazing football player, but does come with appreciative risk, which is that he might not play a lot. He might just be like, there are some games where he's active, but he doesn't get any targets. And he has to sit out the whole second. Like, there's a lot of things for like a growing team like this. Like, we're, none of us are saying they're going to win the South. And, and I think maybe they've come to those terms and they're saying, look, yeah. if we just want to like find out if Ridley can be a number one, that's the year. We're going to find out if Kyle Pitts can be like this horse that we have to ride for the next three, four years because we don't have great wide receiver depth underneath Ridley, they're going to be able to find that out better without Julio. And can Matt Ryan, this is a great, this was like Stafford-like, right? When Calvin Johnson leaves, what kind of player is Stafford? And with Matt Ryan, it's sort of like, okay, when Julio's gone, like for long-term and the whole offense isn't built around the guy, like what is Matt Ryan for the next few years? Because like, mm -hmm. I think that that's also a question that they'll be able to better answer this year when frankly for them, the situation is low stakes. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, you, you've you've uh, evened me out a little bit, although it just sucks. I, I just it does you know, suck. And, I, and if you're a Falcons fan, and that circling this over to Tennessee, I, I don't want to be negative about Tennessee today as much because if I'm a Titans fan, I'm extremely excited about this. I think it's awesome that you end up with AJ Brown, you end up with Julio Jones, so. I don't want anything that we say about the Titans to come off as negative because acquiring Julio Jones is a super positive move. And, and as I, I said a couple weeks ago, I think it is the move that can turn their offseason from being, in my estimation, an unmitigated disaster to being merely like water treading, which I think it does. What do you think about this for Tennessee? Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm going to answer this by going over who I think the biggest winners uh, in this trade were. Um, I, I think that the third, um, I'm going to go in reverse order, top three. The third is, is Julio Jones. I initially felt that Matt Ryan, I think Matt Ryan with Julio and Ridley and Pitts and Arthur Smith could have had a Ryan Tannehill-esque, um, you know, kind of recovery, if you will. He has not been as good, but he was sixth overall in, in raw PFF grade per snap last year from a clean pocket. Um, his accuracy is still top 10. Um, and looking at the numbers a little bit last year, you do see some signs of, okay, the, the pinpoint accuracy on deep balls has not been there for um, for Matt Ryan. And Ryan Tannehill at least has shown that now, albeit in a much smaller sample size. The sample sizes are not large. So I do think this is a good move for Julio. I also believe 
that AJ Brown being Calvin Ridley is such a complimentary, great complimentary piece to Julio because of his, his size, the things that he does a little differently. AJ Brown is a tank. Like he can handle so much Damn. from a physical standpoint. And I think that helps Julio Jones. Okay. So he's number three, number two, it's the Tennessee Titans. And, and for the reason that you said you are trying to win a Super Bowl. I agree with you that on average, this might not be as great a move because there's a lot of volatility there. Julio Jones' ability to stay on the field, no Arthur Smith anymore. Um, those are big things. Um, but if Julio is healthy in the playoffs and they make it there, Eric, they could beat anybody. You know, that's the type of thing that you're looking for. And so I think they're the number two winner. And and I, I so I agree with you from a look. Julio is not someone that you can count on to stay on the field nearly as much. Arthur Smith and that offense, they ran play action 36% of the time. They had the most efficient offense on first and second downs when throwing the football. That was a lot of Arthur Smith. It's going to be interesting to see what that looks like without him. And then I think the biggest winner, honestly, it's the NFL. Like to bring Julio Jones and have him get traded because he wanted to get traded, I think it's awesome for the league. The, the, the fact that players are moving more, I think, is great. The storylines are great. You're creating contenders in places that you might not have created them before. Um, so I think overall, like we're the we're the biggest winners. And I know it's cliche to say, but like I really do think this is a good thing for the NFL long term. Yeah, I, I think so. Here's my thing about the Julio. Like I think Julio on average is a great acquisition. I, if I'm thinking about how to handicap Tennessee, I'm I'm adding like maybe a quarter to a half a win from something that was pretty low to begin with, and and I got a lot of flack for this on online, but I think they were very much like a Minnesota Vikings last year type team to me, hmm. where like you look at, um, and I'm pulling up the numbers now, like Todd Downing's their offensive coordinator. Todd Downing literally had the 32nd highest, uh offensive coordinator ranking in 2017 the one the year that he was with the Raiders mm-hmm. um so you're going from Arthur Smith who's a top let's say top 10 guy you know conservatively mm-hmm. and then when Downing had his turn at the plate for the Raiders he was he was the worst in the NFL he was worse than Dowell Log it goes 30th is Adam Gase 31 is Dowell Loggins 32 is Todd Downing we're talking about going from one of the elite offensive minds in all of football to a middling guy at best and probably one of the worst, right? So you have that, and that was very similar. Minnesota, you know, got rid of Stefanski, you know, going into last mm-hmm. season. You lose a Dory Jackson. You lose Malcolm Butler. You lose uh, Desmond King, who I know didn't play great for them, but, like, was at least there. And their defense was already bad to begin with. Then you also, like, the Vikings acquired Yannick Ngakwe, who is, like, a bad pass rusher but somehow gets sacks. And, like... Our guy, uh, Pittsburgh Steeler guy, Bud Dupree, is a bad pass rusher that somehow gets sacks. And so he goes to a new environment where, like, he's supposed to be the pass rusher. I don't see it going very well. And then you lose, you know, you lose uh, John Smith still. You don't have, like, who's the Vikings number three receiver? Chad Beebe? Who's the number three receiver? They don't even have Khalif Raymond on the team anymore. Like, they literally yeah. don't have a third wide receiver. It's like Josh Reynolds, right? And I mm-hmm. bet you Josh Reynolds really wishes he would have chosen the Chiefs for $100,000 less, by the way. So I, I look at that team and I'm thinking to myself, like, 
they better have gotten Julio, right? Because they were going to be bad if they didn't. And now I merely think that they're going to be like a middling team that, yes, as, as you said, if they get into a playoff game with an elite team and all the things click, they can win. But if the wheels come off, right? Tannehill with, by the way, 2017, who who is Adam Gase? Well, I'd say Adam Gase, third worst play call in the NFL. Who is his QB? Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, so I, I'm thinking to myself, there, there are a lot of people. There was the guy uh, Dob who tweeted out that like Tannehill stats are better than Mahomes last twenty four games. By the way, be aware of endpointing. Yeah, and it's like yes, but you can't untangle what Tannehill's done from what Arthur Smith's doing. Also, there's a one of the really interesting things about Ryan Tannehill and his performance has been their they really do a great job of protecting Ryan Tannehill. Now he's made some great throws, certainly, but that scheme and the way they leveraged play action. And also they were so run heavy, you know, it put, it put Tannehill in, in an opportunity. We give him, gave him an opportunity to perform in situations that, um, that were very skewed towards high production. Right. And, um, and I think that's the, that's the kind of worry here is like, okay, what if those situations are not as beneficial? You know, I think that's the, that's the issue there. Um, I, I did find this interesting, and I want to talk a little bit about um, like Ryan versus Ryan, <laughs> Tan Hill versus Matt Ryan, because um, I, I, I thought this was interesting. So I looked at um, throws 30-plus yards downfield, because I think 20-plus, like you get – you know, some of those things over the middle, it's not necessarily like throwing the, the deep ball per se. So I looked at 30 plus yards. Ryan Tannehill only had 19 throws that traveled 30 plus yards downfield. To give you a comparison there, Russell Wilson had 48. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers had 40. Um, and Ryan Tannehill was really accurate. He was the most accurate in terms of perfectly placed passes because we chart that right, drops it right in the bread basket, right in stride. Uh, 44%. Of his of his throws were right on the money. That was the best in the NFL. Now Matt Ryan was way down there. He was only seventeen percent. So you get this small sample size. I get that. But do you think? Do you think that Ryan? Like, what's your expectation for Ryan Tannehill this year? Like, uh, you know, do you think that he is a, a significant upgrade for Julio over Matt Ryan? No. No. I look. I look. And this again were I don't know what you call it like somebody said regression slaves or whatever in the fantasy football community I don't like mm. that usage but like regression is the name of the game in fantasy football right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we have tan so so right now our projections uh have Tannehill 4400 yards 25 touchdowns 12 interceptions 4400 yards I believe would be his career high it was last year he had a terrific season no one's gonna take anything away from any 3800 highest graded quarterback and 33 touchdowns like He's going to regress a little bit just on the touchdown end. Now, we have Ryan with 4,700 yards and 29 touchdowns. Again, a lot of that is us just simply, and somebody I know one of the comments you know on the screen like laughed at the idea that Arthur Smith is good. Um, we're talking about a Titans offense that was awful with Marcus Mariota for like three, four years, or like mm-hmm. middle of the pack mm-hmm. at best. And now you're talking – like all Derrick Henry did not go from like a bum – to like amazing on his own. <laughs> like he, you know, Tannehill's there. Corey Davis emerged and got a contract because of him. Uh, AJ Brown as well, extremely good uh, efficiency. You take Arthur Smith away and you put him on Matt Ryan, you add in 
the pass happiness. Uh, I got to look at what we're at, what we have for attempts because I do think that that matters. Like we have Matt Ryan with 619 attempts, which is third in the NFL. We have uh, Tannehill all the way down at 521 attempts. So that is, again, we're sort of assuming Downing is going to keep the run heaviness to that offense, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the pass happiness will stay in Atlanta without you know Derrick Henry um, and. and and as such, like I think Arthur Smith's going to be really good for Atlanta. And I think Matt Ryan might not be as physically good as Tannehill anymore. But I think you add the coordinator there, and he's certainly in that tier that can be amazing, um, even though he might have lost it a little bit. I mean, we're talking about Tannehill as like – I mean, Tannehill was traded for what, like a seventh-round pick or some sort of like mid-round mm-hmm, pick mm-hmm. after Adam Gase was done with him? Like, we're not – like these things are not necessary. It's not egregious to say they're as interchangeable. Now, Tannehill, I think, has gotten better enough where you can assume that even with a downgrade, a coordinator, he's still going to be good. Like we're not assuming he's going to have like, uh, you know, Drew Lock numbers. But I don't think it's fair to have expectations of him that are you're the best passer in football or one of the best passers in football, like he's been over the past two seasons. Yeah, so he, you know, top five graded um, passer last year. But here's the color that I want to give to this. It's important. Um, First and second down throws without play action. He had 201 drop uh, such dropbacks. Players that had more: Gardner Minshew, Sam Darnold, Drew Locke. (laughs) Um, Players that aren't playing very much. Yeah, he he had the 26th most, you know, seventh fewest. Um, dropbacks without play action on first and second down. So that's a big part of it. And you think about play action, like that's scheme, you know? So if you're looking at where that falls off, I, I think it's important to know that the, the offensive coordinators are going to matter in this situation. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to bag on Ryan Tannehill. I actually have kind no. of like started to come around a little bit, but you yeah. do need to understand that like scenario and situation are super important. Um, 2016 Matt Ryan with play action Tannehill was something like 13 yards per attempt in 2019 with play action uh Matt Ryan in 2016 his MVP season with play action he had the 163 dropbacks that was the most in the NFL 12 more than Andy Dalton did um he averaged 11.3 yards per attempt which led the NFL as a half a yard more than Ryan Fitzpatrick by the way that was Ryan Fitzpatrick's bad Jets year it just shows mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. that with play action it sort of evens the playing field so much even for a bad Fitzpatrick and and nine touchdowns two interceptions 11 big time throws 11 big time throws actually doesn't seem like that many but again play action opens up the game so that you don't have to make big time throws to make as many sort of chunk plays on offense and again, this is Ryan just a few years ago, certainly capable, in my opinion, of doing the same thing uh, if given the freedom to do so here. Yeah, still, if you go to the if you go to PFF.com, you can get all of the updates to uh, the, the individual player project projections. You can dig into those um, with an edge subscription. Um, you can also get the quarterback annual and you can go take a look. So uh, we talked about how, you know, at PFF, we're charting the ball location accuracy of throws. And you can look at where Matt Ryan is versus Ryan Tanhill. And what's really interesting is Matt Ryan is still elite throwing the intermediate throws. Where it is falling off a little bit are some of those 20 plus yard throws. But that to me is also indicative of a really poor scheme. Like they were behind a lot. He was having to drop back and not use play action. And like, those are just harder throws to make. 
So that is also important to, to recognize and realize. And you can go check that out and dive into it as much as you want. Um, where, where, so let's take a look at this now from like Julio and AJ Brown on the same team, both healthy. You are a Chiefs fan, um, but we're both pragmatic in our assessments here. Um, I have an opinion here, but where would you, where would you put healthy Julio and AJ Brown as a duo uh, in the NFL? Somebody made a joke and said uh, the Bills Mafia is upset about their non-inclusion in your tweet. And I, of course, made a joke yeah, about you needing. I, to be I'll address that. I'll address that here in a second. I, I made a joke about needing to be vaccinated to be a part of the a part of the, the, the group. But listen, uh, John Rob. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so look, they're great. The and, and we've never seen this in Tennessee. I, I made this. Um, there, there's a stat that's interesting. The last time the Titans gave a hundred or more targets to two separate wide receivers on the same team was uh, was. Uh, Kendall Wright and Kelly wow. Washington. No, not Kelly Washington. Uh, Nate Washington, the former Nate Steeler. Yeah. And, and that's 2013. And like their second wide receiver has been like in the 60 target range. Last year, Corey Davis was under 100 still. So like it's going to be a change for them. Um, but and we do see this. I, we have AJ Brown in the 1200 yard range. He's never really done that in the NFL. Um, and we have Julio in the sort of the, the thousand yard range because again, there's uncertainty about his health. There's, you know, he's never been the number two receiver before that type of thing. But I do think it's going to be a good duo. And and I think, um, you know, as far as duos in the NFL, Kelsey Hill, I think have to be up there. Um, I think whoever is the top two players for Tampa Bay have to be up there. And, and people give a shit for having Antonio Brown there, but Antonio Brown's absolutely great. Godwin and Evans might be up there. Um, Thielen and Jefferson in Minnesota, I think, have a shot. Thielen's getting older and a little creakier, but I think Jefferson's the best receiver in that entire discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- those are, but it, it's close, and and it's the, certainly the best pair that Tannehill's ever had as a as an NFL player. Yeah, you look at by the way, Corey Davis last year was a top ten graded wide receiver. Um, so the opportunity, the opportunity is going to be there if. They just, you know, if they have that same offensive scheme. Now that we talked about that being a, a question mark. Here's how I would, here's how I would rank it. I would, I would put Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey at one A. And the reason I put them at one A is I think, I, I believe they they both have elements that no one else in the league can match, um, and they're they're so perfectly complementary. Tyreek Hill has the the best, you know, deep speed in the NFL. He's also incredibly elusive after the catch. And and Travis Kelsey owns that intermediate part of the field, the middle of the field, but is also really dynamic and shifty. You can move him all over. And I think Julio Jones and Antonio uh, and AJ Brown have a chance to be very similar in that they can do anything. And both those guys are elite at whatever they're trying to do. And that's how I would think about the duos is each of the pairs in the duo has to have an elite skill that's like top five, top three. And so that's why the Bills, look, I said this about the Packers too. You take Devontae Adams and put any average player next to him. You put Stephon Diggs out there and put any average player out there next to him. And you have a really good duo, okay? Does Cole Beasley have something that no other player or like very few players in the NFL have? No. Does Emmanuel Sanders? No. Does whoever the number two guy in Green Bay? No, absolutely not. So 
please get off my lawn. If you want to talk about trios, then absolutely. You have, you know, Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders. You have the Tampa Bay guys. Um, and I think that's where you have to kind of back off a little bit. So then I go three and four. And I think this one's really close. I would put, it's so tough because God, I think Godwin and or Brown and or Evans, I any, you know, combination of those two, both have like Evans and Brown in particular, I think have something elite that they do. Um, and Justin Jefferson and, and Adam Thielen, very similar, although not quite as much as you as you mentioned for Thielen. So those would be the, the groups that I put in three and four. Um, but I, I just think Julio and, and AJ Brown, if you you know if you're lining up against them and they're both healthy, like you're just about as scared as you are when you face. Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill, regardless of the quarterback, obviously. Yeah, I think that's fair. I again, this this I'll say this right now: the canary in the coal mine is the Arthur Smith t- being taken out for Todd Downing. Like, I I don't know, man. Like, it, it's very similar to what the Raiders had. Twenty sixteen, they had Crabtree playing amazingly. Um, they had, you know, they, they had good receivers. I'm, I'm blanking, you know, Derek Carr quote, quote unquote, MVP candidate. And they, they changed guys and, you know, and it just felt, you know, like, I think, I think when you have a quarterback, that's not above the, a certain threshold, changing coordinators has a humongous, you know, has a humongous effect. And, and, and I think, well, we my thesis for this entire show has been it's going to have a positive effect on the on on Matt Ryan that people don't really I don't think are projecting um, enough to overcome this loss of Julio I think and and I think we have to temper expectations of the wide receivers in Tennessee because of it um, it'd be because the a, a coordinator who can make Corey Davis look go from a complete and utter bust to a very good receiver. Can can certainly do can who his absence can make Julio Jones go from one of the league's best receivers to merely good. What um, what do you think now about you know the the kind of schematics of the league? So there's a couple ways to look at this. The first is Tom Brady comes to the NFC, the NFC South, and people are fleeing like the plague. You know, Drew Brees drops off a cliff. Um, you've got you know, really people mad about that. Yeah, uh, Julio Jones now leaves. Aaron Rodgers wants to leave. Um, it's it's honestly impressive. So you've got that side of things. But then I think maybe the bigger one is you look at the AFC South, which not a strong division. Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts plus 110 to win. Uh, the Tennessee Titans now also plus 110 to win. Titans are 25 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Um, does this do any of those or does, you know, is there an impact in your mind on like the pecking order in the NFL and who has, you know, who's a good bet to win the Super Bowl? Yes. In the sense that I think Tennessee does deserve to be firmly in that sort of third AFC group. Like I, Mm -hmm. I have, you know, Kansas city, Buffalo, Baltimore, Cleveland, sort of the the elite group in the AFC. Um, And then I think after that it's Indy, Tennessee and Miami, I'm putting Indy and Miami in there despite their quarterback questions, because I think that they're sort of elite organizations Um, Tennessee sort of is in that group because I think while they have elite talent, they are so fragile on defensive side of the ball, as I said, with coordinator change and then also depth, like their depth on the offensive line isn't great. Depth at wide receiver isn't great. 
Um, depth at tight end isn't great, and they and they depend so heavily on a running back when we know that running backs, um, you know, while elite play at the running back position has been stable the last two years, uh, there's no evidence to suggest that Derrick Henry is going to be all that great for all that much longer. So I I think that Tennessee firmly puts themselves in that group as opposed to the Pittsburgh, Los Angeles Chargers, Denver, kind of depending upon what happens at QB. Um, that like uh, tertiary group to me does no, no longer includes Tennessee after this, mm-hmm. after this week. I So if I were thinking about this, I'm looking at, you know, let's just look at, at chance to win the AFC. Kansas City plus 250 is on DraftKings Sportsbook. And then you've got the Bills and the Ravens, both about six to one. Um, I think the Browns are still in, I think the Browns are in a weird like third tier by themselves um, where I have a lot more confidence in Stefanski and that team is robust. Like you think about, and you mentioned this, like the thinness of the Titans is the worry. Players go down, like who is stepping in for them? The Browns, you know, obviously everyone's, you know, if their quarterback goes down, they're screwed. But like the Browns could suffer an injury at just about any position and still, you know, be a contender. Well, and they and did. I think, right. Well, that's my point. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that's that's how I would have the pecking order. And then you think about the Colts and the Titans, and this is the one that I really want to debate here. I would have, I would put the Titans ahead of the Colts right now. And I don't think I know that Frank Reich deserves a ton of credit. I love Frank Reich. But we're giving the Colts a lot of credit for being a solidly run organization where they don't have a lot of players where you go, man, that guy's really good. Yeah. Like defensively, they have, you know, Darius Leonard is really good. Um, but like you look at the offensive side of the ball and your best player is your guard. Yeah, and Quentin Nelson's amazing. But like, is that what is going to carry you to, to, to winning a, you know, a, a conference championship? Absolutely not. And so I look at that division and I go, the Titans should be the favorite. If I had to pick one of those two teams, I would take the Titans. I'm not sure at plus 110 I want to, um, but if I I would think about it because I think that's mispriced. Like I, I think it's ridiculous that the Colts have a better chance um, t- to win that division just because if you think about it and you go, okay, like Julio Jones comes back and he plays, say, 12 games, um, and you know you kind of get average injury luck, yeah. um, t- to me it's, it's the Titans' division to lose. From a Super Bowl perspective – I think it's interesting. They're 25 to one. Again, same odds as the Colts and the Seahawks and the Broncos. Um, Packers, Browns, Niners, Ravens have better, uh, Rams have better odds. Like, I do think that we see that move maybe up a little bit um, uh, as we go on here because it's just like if you think about who could actually win a Super Bowl, at least if they're healthy to me, they have a slimish chance. Whereas I, I really don't think the Colts do. Let me give you the Carson Wentz pitch because I'm Please. I'm not I'm not a huge Carson Wentz fan. I'm not I've ne- I really never have been. But let me just give let me give you a, a little bit of an anecdote into why I understand the Colts love on the okay. marketplace. Okay. 2019, which is two years ago, these these are the guys that got that got uh, that led the Eagles in targets. Zach Ertz, 135. Dallas Goddard, 87. So yeah. your, your top two guys are tight ends. Mm-hmm. Alshon Jeffrey, 63, or 73. Nelson Aguilar, 69. Miles Sanders, 63. 
Greg Ward, 40, Boston Scott, 26, JJ Ortega Whiteside, 22, Matt Collins, 22, and then a bunch of shit. Carson Wentz that season had, I believe, no wide receiver crack 500 yards in the season. Went 64% completion, seven yards per attempt, which isn't great. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and 27 touchdowns, seven interceptions, nine and seven record with a ratty ass offense. And the one thing they did have is protection. And, the Colts, I don't love their skill position, although Jonathan Taylor was pretty damn good last year. Naheem Hines is a very good all-around running back. Um, tight end Doyle, I think, is a good football player. Uh, Pittman should emerge, and, and T.Y. Hilton comes back. Like, they're not completely awful there. If Wentz gets the protection and sort of gets over the yips, I do think that this is a bimodal outcome for the Colts. I can see them being like four and thirteen, and then that this is the last time Wentz ever plays in the NFL. Like I could see that happening totally. But if things come together, we've seen more seasons where Wentz has made chicken salad out of chicken shit than we've seen like last season where he was the worst passer in, in football from for stretches of time. So that's where I'm kind of like where I talk about regression with Ryan and regression mm-hmm. with Tannehill. I, I I'm thinking about some mean reversion for Wentz here that doesn't have him looking as awful as he was a season ago. Yeah. So okay, but let me like regression to average. Like it, here's I guess here's how I break it down. It's like how will Carson Wentz improve enough, and will Todd Downing decline the Titans' offense enough? that those two lines cross and I don't know I I would hope that Todd Downing like copied Arthur Smith's playbook (laughs) before he left Mm -hmm. and you know like I I think that's your hope um but they're such a solid team though like I looked at this I saw the solid they're solid but they're not um they don't have any superstars yeah, but does that – and I guess the, this sort of contradicts it because the Colts did lose to the Jaguars last year. They were the one team that did so. Um, but, like, in a division where they're basically handing you – well, for one, you have a second-place – you know, you have three games against second-place teams, whereas the Titans are associating with three teams that are first place. And when it comes to that in the AFC, it might not be that big of a deal, Pittsburgh versus Baltimore, but Kansas City versus, I think, Las Vegas is a big deal. Um and then the other thing, like, I just look and I look at statistics and I think, I agree. Like, the Colts don't have anybody amazing on defense except for, like, DeForest Buckner and, and Darius Leonard. But they're also just, like, they don't make mistakes. Like, they were second – they had the second fewest missed tackles in the NFL last year behind the Los Angeles Chargers. Their special teams are almost always good. They're – like, they don't have these humongous coverage busts that – like, the Titans are going to be awful in the back end this year. Like, pandemic offseason-ish – all your corners gone. Like there are just going to be like, there are going to be leaks there. Whereas I think Indianapolis is not going to be able to touch tennis. Like remember the game in Indianapolis where the Titans just absolutely had their a plus game. Colts couldn't touch that. But in Mm -hmm. the game on that Thursday night in Nashville, where the Titans made mistake after mistake after mistake, Indianapolis, they will beat that, win that game by 17 because they just simply don't make those like those boneheaded plays. And so I think if like if Carson Wentz can play in a in a in a confidence interval that is like narrow, then I think the Colts can be better than people think. Yeah, 
I, look, it's the argument is is obvious. It's do you believe in solidness throughout the roster without superstars, or do you believe in superstars? Because the Titans have three to four. Depend. I mean, Derrick Henry is a superstar now. His impact on the game is not as big as people think. But um, you know, Julio Jones and um, and AJ Brown, both superstars, and Ryan Tannehill been a top five graded quarterback each of the last two seasons. So. That's where that's where I will land. Um, I will land on that one. Uh, before we get into uh, our recommendations here, what's your feeling on um, on any bets either to be made or bets that we have made? Like one that I'm thinking about is you know I bet Titans not to make the playoffs um, at plus money. I don't know how great I feel about that. Um, well, not not great. Um, we bet obviously the, the Falcons over seven at minus 143. Um, would have still bet it at over seven and a half, which it is right now, at minus 135. Um, what's your take there? Well, here's the thing I think what, what's interesting is those markets that were moved in your direction a decent amount, where now this move is not going to necessarily be enough to make the bet awful, you know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. Titans not to make the playoffs. I have to look at what I got it at. Um, but but it ended up being like a decent value, and, mm-hmm. and and now like sure they'll they'll have higher odds, but I don't think it's going to be as bad. Let me look at what I ended up with um, to miss playoffs. I had it at plus one twenty five, and then current price. So this was May twenty second when I updated. It was minus one hundred three. So like you were getting twenty eight cents of value there. It's probably now going to be something like plus one thirty, plus one forty. But again, it's not nearly as bad because you were on the right side before this move. And I mm-hmm. think the Falcons are the same way where if you bet them over seven at minus 143, like it was the best of it when it was seven minus 150 yep. or whatever. And now it's merely just a good bet now that it's seven and a half minus 130 or so. So I don't think it's that bad. I think people were starting to sour on Tennessee um, prior to this move. And while it might not be the best of it anymore, it's still not egregious, so I, I'm okay with that. Um, I think I think now you do have to consider like waiting on Tennessee. If you like under, I mean, it's 126 on Pinnacle, under nine. Like I think you have to wait a little bit, mate. Even if it like the index goes to nine and a half, that might be the best opportunity if you are inclined to like them under. Um, I don't think any of – I think all the Titans are going to be bad MVP bets because, like, one of them has to win it. It's not going to be a running back or wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You really think Ryan Tannehill is going to win the MVP? So I, I think those are all sucker plays. I know some people are touting those on, on Twitter. Um, but that's kind of where I see it. I don't see it uh, – I don't see a huge deal. I think Pitts is going to be overvalued in the offensive rookie of the year market. Um, and I think Ryan at 75-1, to 1, you know – that bet that we're holding on to for him to be MVP, I think weirdly this makes that an even better play in the sense that if he overcomes this trade and plays well, plays as well as he did in 2016, yes, the media might be more inclined to give him the MVP than if he had you know Julio as well as Ridley and Pitts. So while I, I think it makes it less likely that he'll have an amazing season, I think it makes it more likely that given he has an amazing season, they'll they'll give him the award. Yes, uh, that was going to be my my thing. So right now on DraftKings Sportsbook, Matt Ryan is is forty to one. Um, Ryan Tannehill is twenty five to one. I know this sounds ridiculous, but I would yeah. rather bet Matt Ryan at forty to one than Ryan Tannehill at twenty five to one for exactly what you said. For those guys to win, they have to have an out of this world season. But if Matt Ryan has one without Julio Jones, 
Um, that would mean obviously Kyle Pitts breaking out and like those things. But, um, you know, I would probably wait. I think that number should come down quite a bit. I still think from an MVP perspective, my favorite bet is Tom Brady, who's 14 to one. You can find yeah. him at 15 to one in some places. I think that is absolutely banana land ridiculous that he has worse odds than Josh Allen, about the same odds as Lamar Jackson and Matt Stafford. Do you think that that's just because much like a season ago now, Mahomes didn't deserve the MVP, yeah. but he kind of, Mahomes kind of got lost in the shuffle in that their team was so much better than any other AFC team mm-hmm. that the games were sort of like ho-hum. Like no one remembers their win against Carolina. No one remembers their win right. against Atlanta. All that, and he didn't play well in that game. Whereas when you look at, uh, you know, when you, when you look at um, Rodgers, he was sort of in these high profile games that mm-hmm. got flexed. Like the Tennessee game got flexed. Mm-hmm. The green, the Chicago game was either already Sunday night football or got flexed. Like he was put in limelight a lot. Does Tom Brady's MVP case suffer from the likelihood that Tampa could cruise through the NFC in a very nondescript way against teams like Atlanta, New Orleans, Carolina that we aren't going to put on uh, primetime TV? Like, is that that's that's the one like I think leak I, in the Tom Brady bet? But my if counter they're all if they're at all contested, I mean Brady's going to put up great numbers this year. I think my counter to that is that the league is going to flex every Tom Brady is on a tear game in, in anywhere they can. And yes, the ones against Atlanta, New Orleans, and Carolina aren't going to be them, but every other game is, is a legit candidate. Um, and um, I, I would argue that as powerful as Mahomes is, the Brady thing is on another level. Like the fact that he's this old doing this He's so popular in terms of what he does on social media. Like it, it will snowball. And remember, this is partially like a popularity contest. So um, that's my argument there. I, I don't think that I am going to, I, I don't think you're, you're smart if you're touting Tennessee now as like a good bet in a lot of places, like people are rushing to those. Um, th- the only thing that I, that I would say is like, I still, I, I would side Titans, you would side Colts, but that would be, that would be where I would land. And I don't think I'm not going to put more money on the Falcons. I don't, I'm not going to get out of those positions at all. Um, and, you know, I might wait for the Titans team to increase if I were thinking of betting um, under there. Uh, let's, let's close out with this recommendation station. Your, your uh, brainchild, a fantastic addition to the show. Um, what it is, if you're a first time listening, we are trying to give out recommendations based on things that we've used or things that we've done that have been helpful for us when we have guests on. We ask them to do the same. We've had some really good ones um, from our last few guests. So if you haven't listened to those podcasts, go check them out. Um, Eric, your recommendation for this week. It's right over there, actually. Um, I'm reading uh, reading this book right now called Noise, which is it's by Daniel Kahneman of Kahneman and Tversky uh, fame. It's, it's a book where they try to understand where errors come from. And it's not perfect. Like they make a statement that was, and I forgot to look up this guy's name, but like they made a statement in the book that says correlation does not imply causation, but causation implies correlation, which is actually false. Like I was at a conference in 2014 (laughs) where a guy like built this dynamical system and, and he ran out the time series and they were two perfectly uncorrelated, like uh, blobs, but they were obviously caused by each other because it Mm -hmm. was a system that he devised. So there's like 
and, and they're not statisticians, so there's a there's a little bit of colloquial, you know, stuff that you have to print over. But I'm somebody, uh, I'm somebody that's like not, I'm not not going to read somebody's book because they're incorrect in some things. Like you, there's mm-hmm. obviously value in in everything uh, that people do. Um, I like it. I thought one of the great anecdotes, by the way, which was was that um, judges give out harsher sentences in the Monday and the week after a local uh, team loses, which can only mean one thing. Wow. It can only mean one thing. Stay out of trouble, Pittsburgh. Uh, I can't, I can't follow that one up. That was, um, that was too good. I knew it was coming and it's still, I still. Delivery matters. I mean, I didn't deliver the, the hope selling Thing as yep. well as I could have, I felt like I had to deliver that one better. Um, someone here pointing out that um, judges are also harsher before yes. lunch, um, which is which is funny. Maybe I should make my um, <laughs> my recommendation then, like uh, intermittent fasting, but um, which I do think works for some people. I personally do it; like it makes my life way easier, and I just eat between probably like twelve and seven or one and seven. Um, but um, I'm not sure I want to make that my my recommendation here for today. Um, I think what I'll do for my recommendation is because I'm I'm on the West Coast right now. I'm going to uh, I'm going to toss out a, a two food related um, recommendations for you guys. The first is if you're in the Orange County area, a uh, great sushi place called Gen Kai, G E N K I. Uh, K-A-I, small little place, hole in the wall, fantastic hand rolls. Just go there and just order hand rolls. Have them come out as soon as you finish and just ask the just ask the waitress or waiter what she recommends, what he recommends, and just get them. The other second thing, if you're not in the Orange County area, is this. It's a little, little hack here. Um, it's actually pretty popular, but maybe you haven't heard of it. Uh, sweet potatoes. I like to add them to my salad. Freeze them before you cook them. Freeze them for an hour. Then throw them in at like 425 for an hour. It'll change the game, especially if you buy like the Japanese sweet potatoes, either the the white flesh or the uh, purple flesh ones. I promise you will not be disappointed. Um, very My, different uh, our, recommendations. Our mutual friend uh, Matthew Collar is in Orange County or in LA visiting family. Okay. I, he gave his WNBA tickets to me and my daughter for tonight. Um, wow. And I told him this is a secondary recommendation because you gave it to me when I was there. I mm-hmm. gave it to him with salt and straw, the ice cream place. Yes. I, I look. I we're paying it forward here. Uh, you know, and, and, it is the and number if you one forward a recommendation from this show. Let us know because it's it, you know it's kind of fun. It, it's uh, we're just people helping people. Powerful stuff. The number I will stand by this. The number one ice cream place in the world is Salt and Straw Creamery. It's on the West Coast. You should go get some. It's in LA. There's multiple places in LA. I think it's originally Portland, Oregon. One day we'll do. We'll just do a food podcast. You're a man of the people. I know. Last week you gave out like a five hundred dollar cologne on the show. It was not five hundred dollars. <laughs> but come uh, on, this is great. <laughs> come on, it was not five hundred dollars. It's like one ninety five, and it's you can make cologne go a long way. You can so, invest can. in yourself. Invest in yourself. Place a smart bet. And go buy yourself cologne that doesn't make you smell like crap. I promise it'll pay off for you in the long run. Uh, That's our show. We're done. Thank you guys for hanging out. We love you all. We'll be back on Wednesday. Peace out.